Hello and welcome to yet another episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast. We Ain't Got No History's official Chelsea podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Funnel, with a new microphone. If you do hear some background noises, I am terribly sorry, but I think the quality of the microphone improved, and that will only benefit my fellow co-host, Ram. Ram, I hope you can hear me clearly. <laughs> yeah, I, I can hear you significantly, significantly clearly now. And yeah, I suppose that does benefit me and our guest today, who is a returnee on the podcast, Mr. Ollie Glanwell. Hello. Hello. How are we? Ollie. Ollie. I feel as if feel as if I'm obliged to introduce him in a specific manner. So let me introduce him. <laughs> Chelsea FC season ticket holder. Matthew Harding, Upper G17, MA Medieval History, Classicist, Guitarist, Cricket, Ollie Clark, Feminist, Mr. Ollie Clanwell. You, you can put like applause in there or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure it's warranted, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How are we doing that? Bio. Oh, that was his Twitter bio, yeah. He's a very, very multifaceted individual, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how Ram always introduces me. Always. <laughs> so there's a lot of football to talk about today, and there were three games since we last recorded. Aston Villa, Manchester City, and Leicester City. And it's been a while since we could say we've won three in a row. Actually, we've won more in a row, because if you include the games that took place before the lockdown before the end or the, the pausing of the Premier League temporarily. We're going to concentrate more on the city, well, the two city games to be precise. Um, Aston Villa was vi- were vital points, no doubt about that. But I think that famous win against Manchester City, that is one that we surely have to concentrate on. Um, Oli as our guest, I mean... Yeah, for the first turn to talk about that City game, Manchester City game, that was one hell of a ride, one hell of a trip. Yeah, um, it was one of those that finally it felt like we were actually watching a football match again. Um, It was a bit of a circus, to be honest. Um, There were a lot of chances each way, but I felt like we had the best of them, to be honest. and I think that was down to Frank Lampard's tactical discipline and the setup, and obviously uh, the performances of Kante and Mount in particular in midfield to um, sort of harass and harry uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Fernandinho, but also Barkley put in a shift as well uh, against Bernardo, who I mean, you wouldn't even realise that he was playing at points. Um, and then obviously our good friend uh, Mendy. Uh, giving us a nice assist um, for the first goal. But obviously, the vast majority of the plaudits in this game, attacking-wise, go to Pulisic because he showed the best of what he showed why we bought him, essentially. Um, Just rapid pace, um, very impressive first touch, almost like Velcro. And the ability to stand a player up and then burst past him and... uh, yeah, forced Mendy to dive in. It was very impressive. Um, 
I thought, as I say, we had the majority of the chances even before uh, Fernandinho sending off. Um, it felt like it was coming, definitely. Um, and obviously Fernandinho thought it was going in as well, which is why he decided to play volleyball. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty impressed, to be honest. Well, I mean, I, can I just agree? I mean, I agree with most of those sentiments, but I have to agree with one thing in specific because I actually didn't realize this until now that you just said it. What kind of a job, although one wouldn't have expected it from him, Marcus Alonso did with Bernardo Silva. Mm. I yeah. actually forgot that he played. Genuinely. I, I genuinely <laughs> forgot that Bernardo Silva was on that pitch. Did he actually ever do anything? I, uh, don't, I, don't, I can't remember. He, he, um, he did a good dejected uh, winger pose a few times, throwing up his arms when he wasn't given the ball and the ball was taken away from him. Uh, but yeah, that, that midfield, uh, Azpil, obviously peerless, um, and Alonso did a real job defensively, um, and it gave us a really solid base. And, you know, that idea that we posited, what, I don't know, five months ago about Kante playing as a DM in a dynamic midfield three with two eights, it might work, who knows? You can only hope so. I mean, we've got all the options in midfield. Um, one of them who's been, for me, outstanding, Ram, and I think you'll love to hear this, is Mason Mount. I mean, he was already before the break, but mm-hmm. has anyone shown the kind of work rate that Mason Mount has shown? Because for me, he's been one of the best players on the field in all three games. Wow, I, I like that. I like your opinions these days, Jimmy. Yeah, I think it's with Mount. It is. It has a lot to do with the fact that he got three months of rest, because that man has been playing continuous football since I don't know when. And the championship season was extra long for him because Toby went to the playoff final, and he's basically been relentless for a while now. And Lampard also kind of runs him into the ground because he's played more games than any other Chelsea player this season. Him and not Aspilicueta for a change. So the fact that Mason Mount has had, you know, three long months of rest has been very, very beneficial in my opinion, even though Lampard continues to start him every game now. So I, I am automatically worried again. But I think, I think the results are palpable. He has been so full of energy and just really so good that you could actually see that he got kind of tired out in the first half versus Leicester. I presume we'll we talk about that later, but in in the games that we in the games that we're talking about, he was definitely among the best players on the pitch, if not if not the best. He was he was everywhere. His his passing was on point for all those who say he can't pass. <laughs> his uh, off the ball work rate was as always very good. Very very positive in attack. I love that sequence where he took his took the opposing left back uh, out of the game on the left hand side and then played a nice little cross into Giroud, and he basically showed that he could do a, a bit of everything to a good level, whether that was carrying or linking up play or pressing, and that's that's all you want from 
your midfielder who's playing as a second eight in front of a six, don't you? In a four-three-three, you want him to be as dynamic as possible, and that's what Mason Mount showed us. And he showed us that he definitely doesn't have to be played as a ten or a forward. He's a pretty good player, turns out. <laughs> but despite yeah. all the criticism he always gets, because he gets slandered on on Twitter, for example, it's it's very very hard to read at times. And he really doesn't deserve that. If anyone could be embodying this new Mr. Chelsea kind of vibe, I mean, it's very difficult to ever emulate uh, John Terry in that respect. But if anyone will from this crop of youngsters that we currently have, it's going to be Mason Mount. No no question about it. Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, he he did have poor games, I suppose, in in the pre-COVID part of the season. But I think patience is a virtue when it comes to fans expecting things out of players. So, for example, if Reese James has had three non-amazing, non-good games put together, that doesn't mean he's bad. It's just a just relevant example that's uh, very <laughs> pertinent to today's climbs. But the same thing goes with Mount, really. It's just conditions have a lot to do with it. And hopefully Lampard is uh, a little less generous with his playing. can't believe I'm saying this, but hopefully he's a little less generous with his playing time uh, when it comes to Mount because really don't want to run him into the ground because when he's well-dusted, he's just, he's so good. But yes, speaking of of young players, how do you think Loftus-Cheek did when he started against Aston Villa? This is one for me. Who now? Or... <laughs> <laughs> who do you mean now for, for who's that question? Just, just anyone. Ollie. <laughs> Take it away, Ollie. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, firstly, he's playing at position. I mean, I, yeah. I think relative, relevant to your uh, point just now about patience, I think people still assume that Mason Mount is a 10 because Lamps has played in there all season. That's not why. He's played there. He's played there because he's doing essentially an Oscar role, which is a defensive 10. He's there to press. He's not even there necessarily to score or assist. He's there to lead a press or to or to force through a press, especially when people like Giroud are up front and you know don't have the pace to do it themselves. He's much more naturally an eight. Uh, and that's what his um, skill set really you know pushes towards um he can shoot with both feet he can run from deep uh he's decent dribbling he can then drift out wide and into spaces and into you know the gaps around the d or you know that late third man run that obviously his manager essentially patented (laughs) um and which is why lamps gives him so much credit because i think i think a few months ago i I called him a tactical behemoth. That's why he plays every game. It's because if you give him a role to play, he will play it to a T. Going back to Ruben, um, he was playing out of position, uh, left wing. It's his first game back. And obviously he played really well behind closed doors. He scored three and two. Um, but that's different. You know, it's, it's very different. You apply you know, sports psychology to this scenario he wants to put on the best possible show he can 
uh, and show that he deserves his place back. Um, and Lamps basically gave him a run out against the team that he thought would be a free hit in Villa. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that that's something that he has to do because he has to get minutes in his legs anyway. It's been a long time out. Um, and to be honest, he, he looked he looked rusty, but he's going to look rusty. That's not what Chelsea Twitter will then obviously do and did do is then he's say, had an entire oh, year yeah, exactly. Just write him off. Oh, he's not the player he was. Um, you know, he'll never reach that level. Um, sell him, you know, bring in Havertz now. It's just like, you know, <laughs> this is this is like the, the mentality of people don't who don't really get that sports psychology plays such a huge part in football, um, especially in behind closed doors games, and especially with players who haven't learned to trust their bodies again yet. The same will happen with Callum. The same will happen with Fikayo Tomori. The same yeah. has happened with Reese James. Billy's slightly different because he's just he's just rusty. But yeah. Ruben especially, you know, he's getting to that stage of his career now where he just needs a run of games. And he will get that. I trust Lamps to give him that. In fact, I think he may start on Wednesday, but we'll get into that. Um and that's where it is, you know. It's just it's about man management and coaching and and giving them the required minutes in their legs, yeah. So that definitely. you know, you know, they can get to the level they want to be at. They're not going to be there right from the off, and people need to understand that. Hundred percent, percent. And just tactically, uh, people say Lampard is fairly naive. It is hmm. something that was characteristic of his tenure at Derby County, to be fair. Yeah. And he has showed this at Chelsea as well at times. But regarding our tactical setup against Man City, how spot on do you think we got that? Because just hearkening back to the first 10-15 minutes of that game, frankly, I was blown away by the difference in intensity between Manchester City and us up until maybe the first drinks break or so. They just looked on. Yeah an entirely different level. They kept feeding it out to Mendy via switches and he kept he kept fizzing some really good crosses into the area, to be fair. Uh, so that was fairly intimidating and I wasn't, I wasn't really hoping for the best, but I think Chelsea went in with a certain game plan of not pressing too high, pressing in carefully set up traps, if at all, but mm-hmm. mostly keeping either a mid or a slightly lower block and then breaking breaking past them because we didn't, we didn't have Kovacic to play out of the back either. So we were also a lot more direct, which is why probably Giroud started up front. And I think yeah. after the first strings break, when Man City's intensity slightly started to wane, that's, that's when our, our game plan probably gain some momentum because I, th- I think we just basically stuck from with to the same thing from minute one to minute 90 and well, luckily Benjamin Mendy helped us along the way but then <laughs> our direct play got I mean they, they they weren't they didn't seem they didn't seem very comfortable with handling it beyond a certain point of the game despite the fact that we were trying the same thing from the first minute onwards and that's why we created a lot more chances towards the second half of the game so would you say that Lampard 
is that that's actually an interesting theme that I've been thinking about, Jimmy. And would you say that Lampard sets up a lot better in big games against teams who are likely to dominate possession, like Liverpool and Man City, as opposed to a Leicester or an Aston Villa? Obviously, there there are two teams of of which one is much better than the other. But but I think just you know to vaguely group teams. Yeah. like Liverpool and City together, but with basically the rest of the Premier League, because we're going to dominate possession against the rest of the Premier League, probably. So, do you think the Lampard re- tends to get it right with these bigger teams? And is the problem really just in breaking down the low block, or is there something that runs deeper? I think there are two things to keep in mind here. First of all, completely disregarding Lampard in regards to that question, we've had problems with breaking down teams that are defensively compact, that are sitting in deep since Antonio Conte. That was one of the problems that we had were dealing with in during the second year of Antonio Conte, if you ask me. And with Maurizio Sarri, it wasn't any different, maybe even more so, because we were constantly in possession and teams knew exactly what they had to do, just lean back, uh, let us come. We couldn't really do anything, and that was it, you know. We the times of uh, Cesc Fabregas being able to break down those kind of teams were long or seemed long gone, and um, at times this season it has been the same. But I wouldn't uh, pin that just on Lampard because that has been just generally a problem in within this team for quite a while. Um, but since this restart, it seems as if Frank Lampard has learned quite a bit. He's been doing his homework because. Uh, if there's one thing that one could criticize, and I have criticized as well, is his lineups, which I just often don't agree with. Um, but his substitutions have been spot on these past three games. You know, he wasn't afraid to make subs, as he made blatantly clear against Leicester City. And uh, it changed the games to the better, or for the better. Yeah. So yeah. that has to, um, really has to give him credit for that. And I would personally say that that illustrates how he has developed as a coach already in his first season with Chelsea where you know the general consensus was he's basically has this this season it's a freebie you know you, you can do whatever you want uh if he does get us in the top four of course the expectations are quite high now great but you know as long as he shows improvement and that he has fantastic regarding the big games um you know, there were these posts where, oh, we've done so well against these big teams this season. I don't think that one can ever really speak of we've been really good against the big teams when we've lost three times against Manchester United this season. That just hurts. Uh, See, I'm, that's different because what, wait, they wait, are... Wait. I, okay, get, go on. They, I get that they one can just have a boogie team and they have been also in transition and they played maybe differently to the, the yeah. other teams that we have i get that that's right still yeah i i i understand that completely but still it i have a hard time just saying we generally played well because in the first half of the season we did have our uh, due problems uh, not only against those top teams that we had but also against like leicester city and so on and it's just been a steady climb uh, to the top and uh, you know it's gradually slowly but gradually gotten better and 
I mean, that Manchester City performance, I don't think that anybody could criticise how we performed there. It was fantastic. And, um, yeah, I, I guess one could say that against the lowlier teams, like that game against Bournemouth, against West Ham, Palace, where we didn't perform and then dropped vital points, very valuable points at the time, still now, of course, they will presumably cost us uh, in not being able to comfortably secure top four this season. But, you know, one can't just expect Lampard to get everything right immediately. And we are doing well uh, in at the moment. We are securing points like against Aston Villa, where maybe before the break, we wouldn't have been able to turn that game where we would have struggled maybe only at best gotten a draw. We've been able to grind out the results that we need, um, despite maybe not performing too well as against Aston Villa, as against Leicester City. And that, for me, are the most satisfying wins. And that is all down to Lampard. Good on him. Yep. <laughs> What's up? Uh, regarding N'Golo Kante, uh, Oli, he confirmed what we all thought, which was he's probably the best player to protect our back four. As opposed yeah. to yeah, as opposed to Jorginho, I guess. If he probably doesn't set the bar very high, to be fair. I think that's a factual statement, yeah. Yeah, I that is he's, uh... that, Yeah, that there's there's <laughs> I, no opinion. Yeah. But this is the thing, right? It's um there's this kind of culture war seemingly on Chelsea Twitter where it's like you're either you know you either believe in good football and Jorginho or you believe in uh, Kante not being able to pass quote unquote um, <laughs> and that, that's kind of the two aspects are like you either want Kante there just as a destroyer um, and not doing anything else apparently because apparently he's so limited as a player Although he's a you know world champion, multiple <laughs> Premier League winner, potentially a you know two-time FA Cup winner. The point is, like, the role has changed, and I think we talked about it a few months ago that the Jorginho role in a Lampard setup doesn't exist. It's a very yes. niche. It's a very niche role, and it's nothing against the player. You know, I have I have him on my shirt, as some of your listeners may know. Um, <laughs> And I had it at the time because I thought he was such a key aspect of the Sari team. Of course he is, and he always will be, um, despite the fact that apparently Artur is more of a key aspect for him now, or maybe you know, maybe there's just some problems there with the board and Juventus, but we'll leave that there. Um, so for me, it's nothing to do with how good a player Jorginho is, although I do think he is limited in terms of how creative he is despite his brilliant passing once in a while to Tammy, for instance, the goal against Watford, I think that Lampard just wants a more dynamic system. And there was something he said today in the press conference where he said, look, Kante is good enough as a player, world-class as a player, to play anywhere in our midfield. And despite what Chelsea Twitter will have you know, that's a factual statement. He is our only world-class world class player currently in our squad. And he people limit him so often to 
just being a, a ball winner, a destroyer. Uh, I read something the other day where someone said the problem is that Kante is so thrilling when he wins the ball, but when well, after he's won it, he doesn't know what to do with it. And that couldn't be more wrong. He's actually very efficient. And what's noticeable is when he gives it away and people jump on that. And then they say, oh, he can't play the ball. He's not got the passing range. Um, yeah, exactly. And it, it's one of those things where you're not, you're clearly trying to watch for something you've already preconceived in your head to judge a player like that. Um, and I think this this kind of dynamic, uh, this dynamic, it's not holding midfielder, he's kind of a dynamic six, I guess. Yeah. Um, a roaming destroyer, if you like. That Kante that pl- plays to his natural game is what yeah. Lamps is looking for. Someone tried to pigeonhole Kante today and said he's does he want does Lamps want him to play the Makaleli role? And Lamps said, Well that that role doesn't really exist anymore because you need to be more. The the game is too fast now. Yeah. You know, I I still think RO four or five team would destroy this league, or <laughs> five or six team, but the fact is that the game has moved on. It's faster. There's less. There's less, uh, frankly, merit in playing solely defensive players, which is why players like Van Dijk are held up to such a high level. It's because you know defending is more is like almost like a niche subject now. Um, you have to be more than that. You have to offer something going forward as well, which is why I think this sitting player, quote unquote, with two attacking eights is so interesting and it's such a Lampard system because he you know exactly where he'd put himself in this system he'd be yeah. left midfield yeah. and it's so interesting that Mason has played there three times um in this you know since the break and actually he played there against Everton before and he played there against Liverpool as well I think yeah. and when he came on so the fact is he needs someone there who he can trust in that tactical way where you know him and him and Kante, Mason and Kante have been such an aggressive pressing pair that it's so hard to play through. I think the, I think the Leicester game is a bit of a it's a bit of a kind of it's not a good example of what we're aiming for because Billy was playing out of position. Billy is would actually fill in where Kante is. That would be his preference. So to play him forward and eight, it kind of makes him out of position. Um, and it was his first start back. Yeah. So that kind of threw us off a bit. But you, you got the sense in the City game, in the Villa game, that I, I, think, I think it's harsh to say that we weren't good in because it was, you know, the first game back but, and they'd played a game beforehand. And also, we absolutely dominated that game. Like, it was one of the most one-sided games you've ever seen. <laughs> yes, yes, we conceded, obviously, before our time with an individual error, which I'm sure will come up a lot in this discussion. We're actually not a bad defensive team. We do not concede a lot of chances in open play. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, no matter what, no matter what the setup is in terms of the two centre-backs, in terms of the full-backs, we don't concede a lot of chances in open play. Our problem comes when we switch off from a set piece or just after a set piece, so if, it's a, if there's a delay or like you know, a layback and then a cross straight in. 
That's every just a lap. It happens every time. Every yeah, time there's exactly. a corner, I get a heart attack. Exactly. It's like as if they have a penalty. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's almost like it's almost like the you know the intensity that we've given ourselves in open play. It's like oh, it's gone out. Well, that's fine. Then we'll just switch off for this. Oh, they nearly scored. <laughs> it's like it's almost like they're giving themselves a kind of rest. And that's so problematic, obviously. But it does come down to individual errors because when you see, you know, Fernandinho having the free header from eight yards out, that's because he's not being marked. It's not because the system isn't working. It's because someone has switched off. And they don't track their man. And there's there's a shot on target. So really, I think we need to look at the fact that overall tactically we are quite impressive you know we it's only it's only really Jurgen Klopp we haven't beaten this season and for god's sake we look like <laughs> we could have done um you know arguably but for the goals we've been we've absolutely matched them uh in every game we played against them in the season so well and obviously beat them as well um in the cup and obviously when we travel to Anfield now delayed, thankfully. So we won't have a trophy lift that weekend. We'll be playing Man United. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as as a manager, Lamps is clearly learning about who he can trust and what players he needs to use where, but also just, like, efficiencies, like little tweaks that he can do to make us more stable. And to Jimmy's point, against Man City, you can't really think of a more well-drilled outfit in world football right now other than Liverpool in terms of their patterns of play and actually I thought we were forcing them out wide to use the likes of Walker and Mendy because I think we packed we'd packed the area so essentially Mendy would have to hit you know on a dime for a chance to be created for them and you know, Mendy, especially this season, has really struggled at hitting accurate crosses. So I think <laughs> our I think our kind of whole tactic there was to just to flood the center of the pitch. Containment was the real buzzword. It wasn't it wasn't a low block. It was kind of a medium-ish block. Yeah, mid block. And it was more about containing their options. So, you know, we stopped that space where De Bruyne really thrives just between the right back and centre and right midfield uh, where he almost like adopts the space that Walker runs past and then swings on the cross or starts the move. We were, we were stopping those passing lanes and that was what was so impressive. Yep, definitely. Uh, I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but I think, I think Lampard is just getting better as time progresses and better players. I mean, or more players in our squad become available to us because Personally, for me, I think with with Conte, we're, we're always a better team, regardless of what people have been saying this season. But in, I, I feel like I feel like he's here to stay for a while. Lampard, that is. But that's probably a different discussion. Anyway, we will take a short break right now and just be back. And we are back. Um, we have been talking about several performers since the restart or really early in the season, but some that have been really performing very well for us. Mostly they've been younger players, but one where you'd think he's already 35, he's been that long 
on the scene, it's Ross Barkley. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but he's been one of the, the real surprises since this restart. He was already doing reasonably well before uh, the pandemic breakout and his Premier League was uh, well suspended. Um, but he really has shined. He scored the crucial goal against Leicester City. And, you know, don't crucify me for saying this, but that run that he made into the box, that was very Lampard-esque. I can really see that he's been trying to learn a lot from Frank Lampard. And Frank Lampard will be arguably the best player or former player that Ross Barkley could work with to improve in that area. Now, consistency issues have always been the problem with Ross Barkley. And referring to the same game, we had that four-on-two situation. Uh, I think it was 15 minutes before the end. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't there, even the only one. <laughs> wasn't even the only one, but that was the most uh, horrible situation. Let's say like that, because that that the, there are even situ- uh, pictures on uh, you know that you can look at on Twitter or wherever where you see that four against two, where anything, any half decent decision would have led to what you'd expect would have been the second goal. But no, Ross Barkley was Ross Barkley. But nevertheless, you know, when one has to give him his dues, he hasn't been bad. Or would you disagree with that, Ram? Um, Ross Barkley has been quite impressive, actually, of late. Because I think Lampard knows how to get the best out of him. He Sorry, is... Ram, I'm going to have to sit down. Um... <laughs> I, I just mean I just mean that Ross Barkley should not be playing as someone who operates mostly in the final third because his decision making in that area of the pitch can be quite egregious to say the least so I think where he's best is in situations where you need to add some physicality to midfield which is what we really needed against Leicester because I think Yuri Telemans and Dennis Pratt and Ndiri, of course, were giving us a very, very hard time because they implemented a pretty intense midfield press and you need some physicality to match it. And in situations like that where you really need to win the battles in midfield um, also applies to... Applies to any situation where the center of the pitch is kind of blocked, basically. Barkley could be a useful player to have, and especially in a deep role, because he's actually quite good when he's not thinking about things. So I probably wouldn't have I probably wouldn't have him playing in a game where we need to break down a low block. But yeah. as as I said just now, when you need to get the the ball out quickly and you need to win second balls in midfield. That's when he's actually very effective and he, he's a pretty good player also as uh, uh, he showed against Leicester. He can make one of those late runs into the box and take on first or second time finishes. Again, he doesn't really have to think because if, if you have on a, on a counter-attacking set situation, the chances are quite high that he's going to mess those up as he did. So I think it's all about you have, so you have a player who is 
a physical specimen and has very good technical ability. It's just he just gets very understated because he gets done in by his own brain most of the times. So I think it's literally just about what kind of system he works best in and under what kind of conditions, what sort of role. So I think the way Lampard is using him now is just fine. I'd, I'd, what I don't know is how much better he's going to get or if this is as good as it gets with Ross Barkley at Chelsea, which is not bad by any means because he's he's contributing, he's helping to change games. Um, but so, yeah, I, I don't... He's, he's not very old yet, but I, I don't know how much he's going to improve beyond this. But I think at worst, he is a solid squad option. At worst, he's a solid squad option who just has a different skill set from other from our other midfielders. And he needs to be used right. And when he does, when he is used right, you get a lot out of him. But all that being said, if any one of our midfielders were to be sold, should we sign a major major upgrade on midfield? Suppose, for example, some really good midfielder was available for us to sign. Maybe Milinkovic, Savage, whoever. I'm not, I'm not saying it has to be him. <laughs> Barkley is probably the one component that I would replace. It's just the way things are in the midfield at the moment. He's, he's, not, a, he's not a bad player at all as I have gone on for more than I should have. He's, he, he is a good player, but he is also the most replaceable component of our midfield. Let's just, let's just put it that way. I, I, have, I have nothing against him. It's just, uh, apart from Jorginho, who is kind of, I, I kind of segregate Jorginho from the rest of our midfield because he's, he just has a very, he's a very, very niche kind of player. So mm-hmm. I'm just putting aside Jorginho from the rest of our midfield options. But yeah, if if you're going to bring in someone who's going to play a box-to-boxer, attacking-minded eight, then I unfortunately have to sell Ross Barkley to make space for that person. But yeah, Ali, I'm not sure what your views are on this. Well, for me, I'd just say, if I told you that uh, we could choose one player who'd been underperforming to play a freer role behind closed doors in a kind of pre-season-y style setup, Mm-hmm. you would probably say Ross Barkley would perform in that role, right? Probably. I mean, pre-season, every single season in pre-season, he seems to be our best player. <laughs> um, in the same way that Marco Marin was. Marco Marin and midfielders, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, so it's really not surprising that he is kind of flourishing in a freer role where he doesn't have as many defensive responsibilities. I still think he was very good against City. Uh, tactically, I still think he cut out the passing lanes well. Yeah, um, and and credit to him for that. I I wasn't sure. I'm not still not really sure about him tactically in terms of an entire ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going to have a player playing a freer role in an eight, especially driving from deep, um, especially in a kind of counter-attacking game or a game where there's a lot of space and where he's going to have options to shoot. You know, Ross Barkley is definitely an option. Having said that, would you play him over a fully fit Ruben Loftus cheek? No, I wouldn't personally, because I feel like go. his decision making in the final third is there for all to see. As you know, as Ram said, that the four on two wasn't the only thing 
Um, not only in that four on two did he have two chances to get the pass right, where he shot instead of playing it to Pedro, who was in like <laughs> acres of space uh, just to his right. He'd already thought that he was going to shoot, but uh, there was a previous, I think it was a four on three, um, where again he, he made just the wrong pass, the wrong time, and that's not necessarily to say that he's a bad player because I don't think he is a bad player. I think uh, he is he's a very good squad option for us and he's scored in most rounds of the FA Cup so far. Some quite good goals in all honesty. Um, and he probably will score, I'd say, again in the FA Cup this season. I'm not sure if it'll be the semi or the final, but we'll see. Um, but to me, he shows, even at his best, why he's fundamentally limited and why I don't think he can go to the next level and why if, say, a freshly taken over Newcastle came in with £40 million... Exactly. Exactly. Newcastle is exactly the type of team post-takeover that I expect to come in for us, partly. Not even kidding. England's national mid-range value, you know, it's obvious, isn't it? Yeah. And it'd be a and, good and move I, for him. Yeah, it would. It would be. He'd probably be the start of that. I mean, I guess he probably would be the start of that team. And if That's that offer question. came in, you'd probably take it. Apart from Mbappe, obviously, as Newcastle fans would say. Mm, of course, yeah. <laughs> That's it's it's all a bit insecure for John Shelby, but that's it's all in the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jimmy, do we want to start talking transfers now? I mean, do I think so? God, yes. I mean, today has been. I've been looking forward to this the whole time now. But, um, I mean, Sorry, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure why. Well, I mean, <laughs> the thing. You know, the thing is, I've been very much against this transfer, and I still, to a certain degree, am. But you know, when the news breaks and you think, "Oh my God, this is this is actually generally true," because. I don't know. For me, if Matt Law really does confirm something, the guy f- seems to have like actual inside sources. Now, I'm, I'm talking real, real, real sources. Then you know there's actually something that's going to happen here. And I still think a centre back is much more needed. But Kai Havertz, um, we've had a, a reasonably well re- uh, researched scouting report on wearing on history about him we've had um well a bit of bias in that but you know whatever tml did a good job uh but you know the, the, there's always a downside to these kind of big transfers and uh, kai havertz he's just so exciting but do we really need him that's the question i've been constantly posing myself but then you hear news like today and you think well, damn, now I'm excited. Why am I excited? I am excited. Oh, my God, I, I want this player now. We don't even really need him, but I want him. It, it's, a, it's a weird thing, silly season, but um, I think we could do a lot worse than getting Hakai Havertz. And the only snag about that article today that I I think we should be talking about is that there's still this, this absurd obsession with Chelsea getting... Ben Chilwell. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. You know, if we get Kai Havertz and Ben Chilwell in addition to the other two that we've really gotten, 
I mean, you'd still have to say this is the best summer that we've had at, at the very least since 2014, maybe even better than then. But I don't know. Uh, I just feel as if if we don't uh, get a generally great centre back that can improve us immensely this this window or this summer, it's just not going to be a ten out of ten at any by all means for me personally. And maybe I'm I'm asking too much because Kai Havertz, in addition to Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech. Wow, I mean, our attack will be, <laughs> in addition to what we really have, with Christian Pulisic really upping his game right now, and Tammy Abraham being exciting as always, Callum hudson Doy, we're going to have quite the attack. But, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, this this meme on, on, on the internet, where you have this really, really well drawn, like a, a, an artist's cow that's, um, mm-hmm. been drawn halfway and then it gets worse and worse and it's like a kindergarten. That's how it feels with the wrong end being our defence and, you know, the, the Mercedes, the Aston Martin part being our attack. I'm just very, very worried that we'll have to outscore our our opponents next season like four to five, four, 5 to 4 or something like that, you know, 5-4. But <laughs> I guess if we get Kai Havertz, then we can do that because he's actually pretty good when he's been performing well. Oli, what 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 were your thoughts on Chelsea purchasing Kai Havertz? I think it's a statement. Um, you know, if if it does go through, um, it looks like we are. Well, I know we've been genuinely interested in him for a while. Um, we've scouted him for a while. Um, oh, obviously, our well, exactly. <laughs> You'd be, you should be sacked immediately as a scout if you haven't been looking at him for like at least the last two seasons. Um, but obviously, we have been looking at him. Um, obviously, Bayern are our, our main rivals for his signature, and uh, listeners will probably know that um, Leroy Sane is now um, joining Bayern, who was their main priority for around fifty-five million pounds, which is a lot of outlay for Bayern. Um, initial, I think it was forty-nine million um, for them, uh, which is you know a big a big thing for them. So you wonder if they can do two in uh, in one window, and then it becomes, well, are they going to ask Kai to wait like they did with other players, um, wait for one season and then sign, you know, for a, a reduced price um, in return for like the gift of not playing for Bayern and being being given to the team that he actually <laughs> currently plays for in Leverkusen, which is how German football works for some reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's unlikely that Bayern can make two mega purchases, especially for them, um, in one window. So I think that makes Havertz more likely. Um, also, Bayern didn't qualify for the Champions League, did they? Finished fifth. No, exactly. So that then becomes an even less likely prospect for Kai. I mean, he's not going to want to to spend an, uh, another season in the Europa League when he could move, get a bigger pay packet, get you know more uh, football under his belt at a bigger team, uh, in a bigger competition. I think. It's 
I don't like the term, but it's probably a no-brainer for him to move this summer rather than wait, unless he's really set on Bayern, and I don't think he is. I think he's more set on playing football consistently at the top level, and I think yeah. nothing else really matters. Um, so if we do go in for him uh, again, then you know I think there's a likelihood that it could come off. Um, and if it does come off, I think he's probably, arguably, our biggest signing since, mm, I'd probably say, Eden Hazard, maybe. And I, that's just because of the type of wow, wow. clubs. Yeah, it's just because of the type of clubs involved in fighting for his signature, the talent, the undoubted talent he has, and the kind of statement we'd make in terms of buying him. Um I'd also like to kind of maybe temper suggestions that we are replacing our academy boys by bringing Havertz in. I think this is kind of a once every five years window where we are at such a financial advantage right now that if we don't take the plunge in terms of going for the best available players that will regret it. Um, and I think Ram touched on it earlier that there will be players going far before our academy players that, you know, we'll see will be sold um, if we do get Kai. The likes of Ross Barkley, Jorginho, obviously Bakayoko at Milan. Um, so, you know, we have plenty of options in how to move him around, but also we also touched on the fluidity that Lamps loves and you know the, the players that we've brought in, Ziyech, Werner, and if we do get Havertz, it's like they can literally play anywhere across that three behind the striker or Kai could play up front or Werner could play up front. I've even seen Ziyech play false nine at times for Ajax, um, <laughs> not necessarily that well, but yeah, which is why Tadic took over, but you get the point. It's the variety that the signing of, of Havertz would give us. and You'd do it then. If Chelsea could sign Havertz today, you'd do it. I would do it, yeah. I, I think it would be a statement signing. I think it, it basically tells the football world that Chelsea are back in a big way. Um, and also, I don't think I don't think it actually... I don't think it really, really affects the trajectory of a lot of our young players. I think that's what I was going to ask you next, because what do you think yeah. that means? Mason Mount and Tommy Abraham, because these players are coming in yeah. and will probably directly, you know, compete for places with them. For Maybe sure. Havertz isn't directly in competition with Mount because Mount could play deeper, but yeah. with Abraham, 100%, Warner is in competition. Maybe Havertz is in competition. Yeah, yeah. but then have you know, Havertz could play right midfield. Yeah, Ziyech can play right midfield. Havertz could play right wing. I mean, this yeah. is the kind of. What do you think it I, means for Mount? I do. It, well, in terms of like their long term, their long term pathway, I don't think. I don't think it's necessarily like a criticism of Mount or or Tammy or or anyone to be honest because. I, I don't envisage Giroud being here long term. Obviously, Mitch is one foul out the door already. 
And again, if a team like Newcastle came in for him, I think we'd snap their arm off. Um, but I think it, what it does is it gives Lamps options. And we have to realise that five subs are going to be here long term. Drinks breaks arguably are going to be, you know, <laughs> here long term. Tactical setups are going to have to change in the medium term. So I think a deeper squad, especially of quality, is vital if you want to win trophies. And, you know, people will say, oh, it'd be hard to keep everyone happy and, uh, you know, players will struggle to develop. But I think there are definitely enough minutes to go around. You look at our best, our best ever squads, you know, 9-10, we had five options up front. You know, we had four wing options. We had a ridiculous midfield. Um, and, and this is, you know, if you re- want to be a really top team, you swap out some of your weak aspects for better aspects. And I think if you say, if I told you that we sold Ross Barkley for 40 million to someone like Newcastle and then spent upwards of 75 for Kai Havertz, and we go into the new season with with uh, eight with the options in the attacking eights of Ruben, Mason, Havertz, and you know, uh, well, I guess potentially Cover um, in an eight, but he would probably more likely deputise for Kante. Um, you would probably like that, right, Jimmy? <laughs> Yes, yes, I'd probably like that. Uh, I mean, if we're if we're completely honest, anyone would love on that right now, right? I mean, Ram, anyone would, right? I mean, if anyone disagrees with that, please do say so in the comments because I would be very curious to hear why. But that is the way going forward, is it not? Begin all the points that you made in regard to how. The future has to be, well, formed around Corona um, with the options that that gives us in giving people more minutes. Uh, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. And that I, I get that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm also saying, yeah, okay, let's get habits. I mean, it'd be great to have another German-speaking player in the team. That's for personal reasons, really. But... Um, <laughs> Generally speaking, still, it leaves us with the problem that we need someone in defence because as much as we have this fantastic new engine up front where we can say, wow, you know, our finishing has gotten better since the restart anyway, but with these players in, which should be unstoppable, um, but what does that mean for our defence? Now, that's why I asked myself, because Ben Chilwell is not going to upgrade our defence considerably. So this is the thing, isn't it? Um, you know, we, we've all watched Ben Chilwell this, this season. Um, Ram, especially. Um, <laughs> and not necessarily had, you know, cast a, a, seen a great like cast on him, um, especially since, I'd say, late November, early December when his form basically fell off a cliff. Um, and then 
it's not really picked up since. Leicester fans have lost patience with him. But he did, you know, uh, have a couple of good games for England, I guess, if you want to be really, like, overly positive about it. Um, The only potential caveat I can give you in terms of Chilwell is that, one, Ashley Cole is vouching for him. That's a fact. Is he now? Yes. Two, there is a player there. (laughs) It's not necessarily a world-class player right now. Mm, And I think it would require a lot of work. But I also think potentially in January when we were linked with him, there may have been approaches and that may have turned his head. And that may coincide with his drop in form. I may be being like Could be. very lee, like he was already dropping before that. That one right. has to. Where has to? Don't you think? Because you mentioned as well late November. Yeah, late November, exactly. Yeah. So in, I'm saying like in the build up to the first kind of utterings of the transfer market in like late November, early December, when people start talking about who's on the move, who's playing in form, that sort of stuff. Um. I'm probably being very, very, very generous to him. I mean, since January, he has been average. I mean, I can't, <laughs> there's no other way of putting it, right? Um, for me, I would prefer someone like Alex Telles or uh, Nico Taliafico, obviously because of that instant connection he'll have with Ziyech. So we know that switch ball is on every time. We know he's better defensively. We know he can play at the top level. His Champions League runs show that every single year. So for me, I would always go Havertz and the cheaper left-back option, whether that be Tej or um, Taliafico, or even someone like Teo Hernandez, if you're going to get like, you know, into the uh, long grass about it. That's a good chart. Um, That's come up on the podcast before, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I don't think he would be my first choice, but I feel like Lamps and Jody have earned the right, especially just, you know, in building back the form of someone like Ross Barkley. Yes, it's behind closed doors. Yes, it's, you know, he still makes you tear your hair out at times. But he is clearly an, he is clearly a useful player. He has clearly scored some crucial goals for us. You know, to kill the game against Liverpool, to kill the game against Leicester. You know, these these sorts of goals win you matches, and he is being utilised in a way that makes him the most effective player he can be. And you know, he has an upper limit to that. But it's clear that there has been a player development, and to take him from the stage where you know he's chucking a drink in the back of a taxi in, in Everton or, you know, in a Toxteth in Liverpool on his way back to a hotel to becoming a key player, quote-unquote, again, under Frank Lampard as a squad rotation player who's scoring key goals for us. There's clearly a brilliant man manager in here. Uh, between Jody, Joe and Frank, they seem to have sussed, you know, the way you can you know just build up a player and I think that's so valuable um, so if Chilwell comes uh, 
And for me, I wouldn't pay anything over 40 million for him. No, definitely not. Yeah. Like that would be my upper limit. 42 million would be my like max, max. I, I think even in this market, I think he is... I, obviously, there's an England tax. <laughs> and even, even more so at Leicester. But I think he is probably a 35 million pound player, especially given the options that are there on the market. I think if Alaba you know, falls out with the Bayern hierarchy, which he hasn't done. I think he's going to sign a new deal. But if he was an option, then you pay the big money for him because he is an instant upgrade to the extent that I don't think we've had since Ashley Cole. But if we do go for Ben Chilwell, even at a silly, silly price, I do trust this management group probably more than a lot of others just to put in the time and the work on the training ground especially with Frank Lampard's attitude to work ethic to make him the player that they think he is and that we aren't necessarily sure he is, especially if Ashley Cole has the input that he wants, you know, doing his coaching badges and whatever. So, you know, I'm willing to, I'm willing to give it, (laughs) uh, unlike all of Chelsea Twitter, I am willing to accept it if it happens because I don't think we can not accept it. But me personally, yeah. I would go for other options, especially if they're cheaper and they mean that we have more money to spend on better players elsewhere, like a goalkeeper or, you know, or a centre-back potentially. So, you know, I think we need to be clever with our resources, even though we have this financial advantage right now, because I don't think we can get the fees we want from the off in terms of our selling fees for people like Zappa Costa, who's just signed a new loan extension, Bakioko, who's going to Milan, but potentially, but we can't get, we won't be able to get the fee we probably want from. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to be quite a lean summer in terms of sales, even though we're going to try and sell everyone. <laughs> um, I think we have to be quite clever in how we do it. And if we come out of it well, then that will be, frankly, because of brilliant uh, business work rather than, you know, the value of the players. Yeah, I'd agree with that. That's a pretty good summary on the whole Chilwell saga. Although yeah. Ashley, yeah, Ashley Cole's opinion is one thing. Yeah, I think he's doing FA Talent ID as well, because I'm I'm pretty yeah. sure he said he wanted to be a scout. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think you put it well. Uh, Chilwell probably wouldn't be our first choice, but he he does seem to be, by all press indications, he does seem to be Lampard's preferred option. And even if he does come, Lampard will probably help get the best out of him for all the reasons that you have just underlined. So I like that. And on that note, we will head into another short break. And we're back uh, for our last segment. That will be the preview, or just briefly preview the game tomorrow against West Ham United. Before we do, I just have to ask this. The new kit's been spoiled, basically. Well, it is confirmed because they already uh, have updated the images outside Stamford Bridge. Guys, what do you think about the kit? And Because... It's as always, uh, people are on the fence or 
just you know a lot of the people that are saying oh it's great because it's very subtle very simply kept others that say it's an atrocity and you know third kit i think we all agree on that third crit that i don't know what the hell that is though i'm pretty sure no one's going to buy it unless they want to you know wind up the mate or something like that but otherwise um just to start off with this i actually think that it's the better kit of the last two that we've had so apart from that first kit that we had which was also i, I actually thought the best kit for a long time um the first nike kit that we had this kit is actually quite okay i wouldn't say it's the best kit um but you know very difficult to beat those peak adidas kits from you know 2012 or 2013 that gold one oh that was fantastic but it's not bad i i generally rate it and i think it will grow on us the more we see it maybe even tomorrow because the sponsorship deal does start tomorrow but what what do you guys think um starting with with you ram i'm not much of a not much of a kit critic. I know it's not really. a Bournemouth kit, mate. Sorry, I know it's not Bournemouth, yeah. but yeah, Bournemouth's 2020-21 kit is cracking, by the way. Um, but I appreciate that you've asked me about Chelsea. I think <laughs> the, I think the the logo of three doesn't look so great. Just with with the, with the number three. I'm not not a huge fan. I like the. I like the worded logo. I'm a more of a worded logo kind of person. So, not not, not a big fan of that. I I, I like the rest though. Um, I'm, I'm not sure uh, how much into detail I can really go about the kit. But I like I generally like I like the way it looks. I, I'd wear it. I just don't like the I just don't like the huge three. That's all. <laughs> Otherwise, it's sound. I'm I'm not not too deep that way either. So, Ozzy, you should probably just take this away from me right now. <laughs> well, you, I think you're echoing the sentiment of a lot of people with that three logo because if they'd write it out to three and they have had that on, I'm not quite sure. Um, they have had it on some kind of sports kit. They've had a three that's been written out, not like the Ireland kit, which is an atrocity in itself. Not because it's Irish, but just generally, uh, it's the just the logo. I, I agree with you. But if they would spell it out, that would be far, far easier on the eye. Or what do you think, Ollie? I think we've had far worse kits, and I think <laughs> they are held in much higher esteem because of what we won with them. Have we had and a worse I, kit I in think... recent times? And is it Yokohama? I mean, I don't think the home kit last season was great, was it? I mean, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> this is, I mean. <laughs> If you remember the reception to that, I mean, I think this is pretty, you know, unspectacular. But I mean, other than the actual three logo, just, which will obviously just take there, time to get it? used to. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple, right? It feels like they saw the reception to our FA Cup special kit and thought, we'll just make it really simple. Um, yeah. It does have kind of Everton vibes, which is a bit worrying for me in terms of the blue. But um, I think personally, just think it's pretty non-offensive um i think the three logo will, will take time to get used to and i run a poll actually of chelsea fans in terms of do you want text or 
number and there was a vast majority saying that they wanted it written out as text yeah. but you know there's an opportunity for them to change that going forward anyway um and to be honest i i just think we'll like it more if we win things in it and i think that's the case with every single other kit we've ever had i mean the the one we won the champions league in was that a great kit i mean (laughs) it was a bit of a hot mess right definitely was but we love it because of what it represents like i can't remember thinking oh great we've got a a horizontal striped chelsea kit like we haven't had one of those since like the 90s or the 80s so the idea that it's like you know it's our kit that you know will guarantee us like we've had great kits in my opinion that we've let ourselves down in and not won anything with so (laughs) i think this is the opposite whereby it's just going to be a non-offensive kit and hopefully the football we see in it will be beautiful so we'll then like it all the more that's my opinion good sentiment good sentiment yeah uh i think that is a good point that one shouldn't just judge it on looks because let's wait and see what it brings us and if we see our new signings in them and we can note something really great with that then i don't think we'll care too much yeah okay preview time we have a big game against west ham they've been terrible of late but i'm pretty sure they'll put in the performance of the season for them uh tomorrow because that's just the way west ham rolls they live to troll us so i think it's going to be very difficult to predict um Team team news wise, we have gotten a boost that both Christensen and Pulisic seem to be included in the squad, though I'm not sure whether they'll be playing. I think it'd be risky at best to play Christian Pulisic. Uh, I think Andres Christensen is cl- more clear in that way that he has been training. Uh, we saw Hudson Doyle as well. Um, Let's say that Hudson Doy is match fit, is able to play. Andreas Christensen is able to play, and Christian Pulisic is fit enough to make the bench. That'll be a huge boost, won't it? I mean, we will be having basically every player at our disposal, with the exception of Fikal tomorrow. Tomorrow, although I think he's been training as well, right? He has, yeah. I think mm. that makes uh, makes practically everyone. Back, doesn't it? Except, am I missing someone? I think everyone's fit. Or Marco yeah, Van Ginkel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Congrats Except on that one-year contract. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Congrats to him. Hopefully, he finds a finds a good loan destination that may or may not be Derby County, given his. Ho- Holland is calling. I'm afraid for Derby fans. Mm. <laughs> I have a few Derby fans in my DMs saying, "Oh, but what about the link with?" I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think Holland is. I think Holland is calling for him. There's an option uh, with I PSV so. that they haven't taken. So. I think the championship is too much for him at this yeah. stage. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, it links are understand, understandable given uh, Van Kinkel uh, went to Koku a couple of times and was made captain. Absolutely. Well, so yeah. won the title. Yeah, won the yeah. title. Uh, mm. no, good days. But yeah, as a uh, as far as West Ham goes, feels good to have a squad for the healthy players to pick from. I think that it should be a fairly easy win for us because West Ham aren't very good, although they do have some good players like Declan Rice. 
who is a better player than a lot of people make him out to be because he got linked to Man United slightly earlier than he should have. And for money that was, well, extravagant and bloated by the press. But yeah, I think I think it should be probably a 2-0 or a 2-1, something like that. At this point, I'd just like to point out that my prediction for Man City was absolutely spot on. It was a 2-1 <laughs> win. <laughs> so I think... I think West Ham Julian will noted. be yeah. I think I think West Ham will be a tunnel. As far as as far as lineups go, I think we might see Christensen return to the fold in defence. So probably Christensen, Rigor, Aspaliqueta, and Marcus Alonso. Standard stuff. And I just don't see Lampard deviating from Kante and Mount in midfield. All depends on who the third component is going to be. And it's definitely not going to be Jorginho. I mean, it could be Jorginho, but I don't know why I feel as if there are a lot of midfielders ahead of him in the pecking order at the moment. So I think there's going to be Kante and there's going to be Mount. Then Ollie, who do you put in the third midfield role? Or do you or do you go with someone different altogether? I think he plays Barkley. I think he plays yeah, think... there. Okay. Yeah. I think after midweek again, he's got the winner. Or rather on the over the weekend he got the winner. I think he picks players on form and okay. players who are the uh, fit and at the disposal. So I think I think it's Barkley Mount and uh Kante. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, and I I think the my wild card uh, is Reese James at right back? Oh, you think? Okay. Yeah, because I worry about Alonso defensively, um, and I think Aspi might be assigned a role at left back. That's interesting. Uh, I think whenever Antonio's come up against Reese James, he's really struggled because his game is so based around bullying the fullback he's against and just. Point. essentially making making the difference down the wings and just basically taking the fullback out of the game I don't think he can do that with Reese James and in fact he said that himself in an interview he said that the hardest player he's played against in his career is Reese James oh, <laughs> very interesting yeah, yeah. Um, he said that it's, it's like during one of those random Take interviews that Twitter heroes <laughs> <laughs> um and you can see why, because, you know, there aren't many players who Antonio comes up against who he can't just, he can't just dominate technically, physically. Uh, and because actually he's, he is to West Ham what Adama Traore is to Wolves in terms of his effectiveness, in terms of how he goes forward. He's not anywhere near the same level because Adama Traore has become much, much more efficient in terms of his final decision and credit to him and credit to Nuno for making him arguably one of the most effective players on the planet right now uh, in terms of the role he plays. But Antonio is that wild card for West Ham going forward. Um, I don't feel particularly bothered about any of their other players, <laughs> even even Haller, who I, I really rated. Um you know, last season, 
Um, he's really struggled to adapt. He's not fit anyway. He's not fit, exactly. Um, but even if he was, I would <laughs> see what I mean. So it's like, um, I think Declan Rice is going to be probably the key man for them. If he's on the ball a lot and in the game a lot, that means we're not doing our job. And I think Mason, especially with that friendly rivalry he has with Deck, um, is going to be quite interesting to watch as well. I think in the in the fixture last year, wasn't it, it was the fixture where um, Eden scored the wonder goal, right? Um, I think it was. I think yeah, it was. and and Ruben Ruben completely destroyed Declan Rice the entire game. He kept ragdolling him, and yeah. Declan didn't have a didn't have a like. He didn't know where to go because every time he tried to stand up against him, he would just get breezed past. So I think Ruben off the bench would be interesting. He has, and he's a good player. You know, you don't come through the Chelsea Academy to that extent, even to be let go if you don't have something about you. The same can go for Eddie Nketiah, uh, Ryan Brewster. Brewster. Exactly. You (laughs) You know, anyone, exactly. Anyone Anyone who's good right now at a certain age, probably came from the Chelsea Academy. Um, so, and by the way, you know, we know that Lamps and Jody are fans of Deck as well. You know, he still has affection for the club, so I wouldn't rule out a return at some stage in his career. Um, <laughs> also, he said so, that, didn't he, Oli, with the, yeah. the presser? Yeah. When he said, while we're still playing, I'm not going to say anything. That I don't know, maybe I'm mis- misinterpreting things there, but that kind of could have been a cheeky well all i'll say is he was asked about angel gomez and he flat out said no (laughs) then he was asked about Declan rice and he said oh yeah he's a great player but we don't talk about other players uh while the football's still going on and it's like oh you mean how you did say that uh you know kai havertz was a a great player obviously but we don't talk about players while the football's going on so there's a kind of wink wink nudge nudge situation here where you can glean that Lance does rate him as a player the same way he rates Kai Havertz. Not they're obviously not the same bracket of player right now, but yeah. Um they are performing to that level in my opinion. Declan is clearly their best player right now on form. Uh he's key to them. He's played centre back, deputised for them. Um and uh Aaron Questwell on Talk Sports said uh today that um, he thinks that playing amongst better players would make him, you know, take him to a whole new level. So I'm sure his West Ham teammates thank him for that. But um, you know, that's that's what they think of him in the squad as well. So they clearly think he's a class above. In terms of the prediction, uh, yeah, I I just want us to win. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is one of those games where it could go either way. Uh, depending on our attitude, I want, you know, there's that expression in American sports, like the big mo, that our momentum right now is is brilliant. We're on a five, you know, five uh, wins in a row. And we just want to keep taking it forward and keep applying that pressure on Leicester, potentially jumping them. So I just think it's all about the result and it's all about the result from here on in. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... I go with Ram at two nil. I would say we might, they might fluke one, 
maybe from the penalty spot two one. So I'll, I'll say I'll be brave and say three one. Three one, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> does does that does Tammy finally get a finally get a go up front? I think so. I think I thought he was quite good against uh, against Leicester. He was. I think I think uh, he played his role really well. Um, yeah. I think obviously the finishing touch um, in terms of him staying on side let him down, but I think that's down to eagerness to perform and people need to understand that these are young players. This is their dream to play at this level for this club, and they're going to be overexcited. They're human. You know, this is how they play. So, yeah, I, I think also the finish against Leicester was brilliant on his weaker foot. Um, <laughs> obviously, people say, oh, he was offside, but he didn't know that. The referee blew the whistle when the ball went in. So, yeah, yeah. we'll see. I back Tommy. Fair enough. Always. <laughs> back Tommy. I think uh, Giroud's going to be playing, mate. I think yeah, I will start, but I think Tammy will score. I'd say he's scored the third off the bench. Uh, I, I like that. Uh, you, you can always expect some amount of optimism from Ali. So <laughs> that's good, always. And just to just to make sure that's William on the right and Pulisic on the left. Can't really be anything else at this point, can it? It can't. I mean, they are the form players for us. enough, I guess. Yeah, and they are form players. I think he makes the bench. I think the problem is if Puli is not 100%, and then do you play Pedro there from the start, knowing that you can <laughs> maybe Callum? I am thing, not so you know. sure about that, no. But who plays there? Who plays like Mount? Like, you know, do you play Mount out of position when he's been so good at eight? This is the thing. So yeah. I think there's. There's a couple of issues there for Lamps. I want Pulisic to start because I think it's worth playing your best team from the start, kill it, take him off because we have so much on the bench Yeah, to change it um, in our favour as Lamps has proved every single game since uh, since we returned. So I think it's worth playing your, first, your best 11 from the start even if they're not 100%. Yeah. Get them through try and win the game and then you know when you've done some of the job you take them off you bring on effective subs I think that's that's key really I think you always need to go for the jugular first off I think if, if you learn anything from Guardiola it's to kill it <laughs> and then change um, I, I think the best managers throughout history have always done that so yeah fair enough Jimmy what about you? What's your prediction? Your uh, well-measured, reasonable as ever pick. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're going to give us a tough time uh, and a rough time because somehow they, as I already said before, they always up the game against us. They have their goalkeeper turn into prime on, or no, actually with Chelsea, so into prime Peter Cech. Um, it's 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 a weird phenomenon, West Ham, and uh, I don't mind if they get relegated and we contribute tomorrow by winning, but I think because of the form we're in, we will get the result. We'll get the three points, which are crucial. You know, Man United at the moment are winning. It seems against Brighton in a way that it was an offside goal. 
So they have the referee. Let, let's be completely honest here, blatantly honest here. They really have help from the referee. They are penalty united. It's ridiculous. They're, they're going to have the backing of the officials. And I know it sounds petty of me, but I just can't. I can't stand them. And, oh, God, uh, it's just so we need these three points tomorrow so that we can still keep a clean distance to them of that those five points. We really do need that going into games uh, against Liverpool still against less. No, not Leicester City against Sheffield. And um, there was another. I can't remember which one that was. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We've still got three big games coming up at the very least. And we need to uh, show our, turn up with our A game tomorrow. Prediction-wise, I'd say 2-1. I don't think we're not going to concede because that's just not how we roll this season. Um, but even though we will uh, let them get one back, I think we'll, we'll be winning 2-1 and receive a few heart attacks in the process when they have a, a, a set piece because they are quite strong on them. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be a tricky encounter, but we'll hopefully get those three points. And if I could choose someone to score, then for them, Declan Rice, haha. And for <laughs> us, I really, really hope that Tammy Abraham finally breaks his duck because he needs that goal desperately. Does, yeah. And otherwise, I'd be absolutely ecstatic if we have, for example, Mason Mount finally score again. I don't care if he plays on the wing or in the central midfield. I just really want Mason Mount to score because he should reward himself for his good form recently. And that would just round off his past few performances perfectly. Yeah, so that that's my sentiment on my predictions for tomorrow. Uh, and I agree, actually, with Oli Reese James at right back. I think that could really be something that we'll be seeing tomorrow. Over to you, Ram. Yeah, no, fair enough. I suppose. I suppose we're all predicting a fairly comfortable win for Chelsea in this, and it should be business as usual, hopefully, because West Ham is the sort of team that we should be getting the job done against. That's uh, that's going to make all the difference in the race for top four, really, because I, I, know, I know Ollie is quite optimistic about the stuff, but, well, Wolves are notoriously plucky, very well-organized side, and Sheffield United have probably lost some ground in the race for top four, as sad as I am to see that. I, I, I Weirdly enough, I, I don't see Tottenham as much of a threat. It's basically just Man United and Wolves who are hot on our heels, and United look like they'll win against Brighton at the moment. The game is being played right now, so they're going to go level with Wolves. And yeah... Uh, we absolutely need to win against West Ham in order to not suffer from some serious nerves because we'd be only two points ahead of Wolves and United. But yes, in conclusion, hopefully it should be a very comfortable win against West Ham. And on that note, I think we, we've spoken for a very long time today. Ollie, thank you for coming on for a second time on We Ain't Got No Podcast. Anytime. 
hopefully we'll have you back again. I mean, we definitely will. It's just a, just a matter of when and not if. <laughs> so I guess that's curtains on this episode of We Ain't Got a Podcast from Jimmy and myself, Ram, on behalf of We Ain't Got No History. Bye-bye.